You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. Let's pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks that uh, you guide and direct our steps uh, every day of our life, every moment, Lord. You promise that you will neither leave us nor forsake us. I thank you, Lord, that you've neither left me nor forsaken me. And I thank you for each person in this room that uh, you're along the way with them as well. Your promise is that you're with us until the end of the age. And so be with us in this time, Lord. Uh, I pray that I can decrease, uh, that you, Lord Christ, will increase. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Well, um, it's probably no surprise to most of you at this point, but uh, my name's Jay Gardner. I'm the new uh, canon pastor here at the Advent. And many of you I remember from, from years past when I served in the youth ministry here. And so many others of you I've, I've not had the chance to meet yet. Um, and if I've met you and have forgotten your name, uh, please forgive me. I'm quite good with names, but this is a lot of volume. <laughs> this morning we're going to be uh, considering one of my favorite subjects, um, myself. Uh, <laughs> No, and there is sort of a danger in this. I I don't want to puff myself up, but I hope in kind of telling my story um, that perhaps you can hear reverberations of your own story, where God's been faithful in your life. And and if not even that, that maybe maybe at the very least you can get to know me just a little bit um, and and trust uh, that God is working not just through me, but through through all of us in this this wonderful church. Um, I do want to start with a reading from from John, if that's okay with you. Uh, This comes from... Uh, John's Gospel in the first chapter, you all know this one by heart, Uh, it's in the 14th verse. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen His glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Well, that Word is foundational uh, for all of us. Of course, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Or as uh, Eugene Peterson translated or transliterated, uh, the Word came and lived in our neighborhood. The point there is, of course, we're, we're celebrating the incarnation of Christ, that God would meet man right where we are. But I think, too, we can take this word and, of course, celebrate the incarnation, what we all celebrate around Christmas, but also uh, to make it personal, that God makes himself personal. And if God is not personal to us, um, it's, it's an abstract word. It's uh, perhaps a word of law and legalism. And actually, John goes on further to say that. If you read a little further in John's Gospel, he says, uh, for the law was given, same chapter, verse 17, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. Well, that's, um, that's John's perspective, but that's, of course, the biblical witness is that uh, God, uh, through Jesus, Jesus being God, brought forth the grace of God. And so if God is not made personal to us, then all we know is that word of law and legalism and demand, which is valid and true, but incomplete in and of itself. And so for me, growing up, I was raised uh, in Alabaster, just a few miles south of here. I uh, went to Thompson, you know, from uh, kindergarten all the way through my senior year of high school. And uh, my mother is here, I believe. Mom, are you you're here? Yeah, yeah. My mom, Debbie. Many of you know Debbie. But uh, so anything I say is not at all uh, an indictment of her parenting. Actually, she's a wonderful parent and uh, continues continues to to surprise us with God's grace uh, in her life towards myself and my brother and Paige, my wife, and now my kids. But um, we weren't really church going when I was young, and that's no surprise to her or to me, uh, but perhaps to some of you. We occasionally would go to church uh, with my grandparents. Uh, My mom grew up Catholic, and so we'd go to Mass 
here and there, usually kind of Christmas and Easter and occasionally uh, more in between. But when I was in high school, middle school, high school, it was sort of the height of uh, a lot of the scandals in the Catholic Church. And uh, perhaps rightfully, my dad was wary uh, of us being involved with that. Um, and again, also probably wrongly, too, wanted to kind of just keep control over us in some ways. Love my dad, but uh, there's a tenuous relationship there that some of you might hear about in the future, but I'm not going to go into detail about that. But the point being, uh, I knew a little bit about God. I knew a little bit about church just from uh, my grandparents' faithful witness and my mom, too. Uh, But for the most part, it was just kind of a be a nice person. You know, go to church, do the right thing, uh, support this, um, and so on. And so many of us, we know that side of religion. We know we're supposed to be good people. We know we're supposed to read our Bible or pray, etc. But what... John tells us here about Jesus is that's really incomplete. We need that grace that only comes through Jesus Christ. And so it's not a to-do list or an obligation, but a a joyful life in Christ. And so, um, yeah, I kind of bounced around church with my family, my my extended family. And on the other side of my family, my dad's side, uh, actually, funny enough, they were, um, my dad was raised Episcopalian uh, down in Talladega County and ran as far away from that as he possibly could. But, so that, that tradition died with him, and somehow in God's strange providence, uh, we're, we're back in the Episcopal Church and the Gardner clan. Uh, but his mom's side was Pentecostal. And again, not to uh, impugn uh, that tradition, but my dad wanted to run from that too. So uh, kind of in uh, that tradition, my cousins would go to an independent, fundamentalist Baptist church. Uh, and they didn't speak in tongues, but they were close. I mean, they were very, very close. Uh, and, and the preacher was the kind of guy, I mean, just a massive fellow um, and was always wiping his forehead and beating the pulpit and all the things you would expect from that kind of tradition. Again, not to, not to impugn it, but uh, essentially death and damnation, which, uh, as Craig mentioned in his sermon, we need to hear about our death. Uh, if you were here in the refectory at nine, uh, that is a valid word of God, but we need life on the other side. And so I couldn't hear it from the pulpit. You know, I could not hear it from, from his ministry or anybody from that pulpit. Uh, but funny enough, where I first really heard the gospel and where it clicked for me was in a car ride uh, with the youth minister from that church. So, I mean, they would say this, independent, uh, fundamentalist, fundamental, King James only Baptist church. You know, the Southern Baptists are liberal to them. And so, but this youth minister uh, who was unpaid, a volunteer, uh, offered to drive me home from um, out in Talladega County all the way to, to Shelby County, about a 45 minute drive, maybe an hour, and he took the time to share the gospel with me. I mean, the, the good old story, the same good news that you and I uh, hold up each week here at the Advent, that Christ came uh, to, to die for sinners and to save sinners. And so for the first time, that clicked with me. I heard that word uh, in a way I'd never heard it before, and I pondered it. So I was, I was 14 years old. I remember going home, and uh, you know, it was close to evening time, getting ready for bed, uh, laying my head on my pillow, and the only resources I knew were kind of the sinner's prayer kind of idea. And I remember praying the sinner's prayer right on uh, my pillow. And uh, like a, a lightning bolt, my life changed from that moment on. I mean, I've not looked back. I mean, that truly was a conversion for me. Uh, my wife, on the other hand, Paige, uh, she doesn't remember a time where she wasn't Christian. And I know for many of you, that's your story as well if you were raised in church. But for me, uh, at the age of 14, I mean, night and day, I knew that God loved me and had saved me and had a plan and purpose for me. And so 
I was not a, a notoriously bad kid. Um, I, I often made kind of the good decisions uh, just by default, and not because I was a good kid, but just because I knew that was the way I could avoid trouble. And so I made good grades. I generally was a teacher's pet. I hate to say it, but, um, but I wasn't like an awful notorious kid. But I, I, for the first time, I really knew like something inwardly was wrong with me, something wrong, as you and I would call sin. Um, and reflecting back a little bit, this is sort of a St. Augustine moment. Have you all read St. Augustine's Confessions? It's still, I mean, unbelievably, after 1,700 years, it, it is so fresh. And, of course, that first uh, chapter, he says, Our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you, O Lord. And that was me. I, I, I felt restless, even as a youth. You know, I knew I was supposed to go to class. I knew I was supposed to make good grades, be polite, be kind. Uh, but I felt restless. I didn't feel like I had a direction or a purpose and I'm going back a little further, this is sort of the St. Augustine moment. Uh, you remember the pear scene in the Confessions um, where he's uh, just destroying this pear tree and can't really explain why other than something's warped within humanity. I remember being in one of our first homes growing up, and there was a rental uh, property down the way, and they were vacant. Uh, and so one of the older kids in my neighborhood convinced me that it would be good to go into this rental home uh, with a baseball bat and just wail away. I was seven years old, and we broke everything in that house not fully understanding what we had done. I knew it was naughty, but I didn't understand the repercussions. And I don't know how long my mom and dad had to pay that off, but uh, they were held responsible. But that's sort of one of those moments where didn't understand what I was doing, uh, couldn't really articulate you know, uh, the greater effect of it all. But uh, again, uh, sin is, is rampant <laughs> in my life. So it took a good seven years between the age of seven and 14 for that to sink in. But more so than my depravity or my sin or my fallenness uh, or my shortcomings, uh, God's love for me was shown forth in that youth minister. And so what did he do? He made the word flesh in my life. He made it personal for me. Uh, where I heard about God and heard about all these things uh, occasionally from a church service, it finally hit me. And so... Uh, the Word made flesh and dwelled among us. I finally felt like I, I felt that. So I didn't know where to go to church. We were in Alabaster, and, and typically uh, in Alabaster, most of my friends were either Baptists or Methodists. I'm sure there were others, but it was, it was sort of are you Baptist or Methodist. So I started going to the Baptist church. My mom and brother uh, went along with me. Uh, we all were, were baptized in due time. And uh, Soluria Baptist Church is on 119 in Alabaster, if you're familiar with it. Again, a Southern Baptist church, I learned a lot. And even at the age of you know, 14, 15, 16, I uh, had a deep appreciation for the Bible and for the word preached. And sort of silently in my own heart, knew that God was stirring me towards ministry, but didn't know exactly what that meant uh, right then and there. So I was reluctant to tell a lot of people about that. I told my mom, told some people in the church. But I wanted to avoid being sort of upheld as uh, this is your path. I wanted to be sure. And so I sat on it for a little while, graduated high school, um, and went to UAH um, to study mechanical and aerospace engineering. That lasted literally one day. Uh, <laughs> I, I remember sitting in my intro to engineering class and kind of looking around at my peers and thinking, they, they think a little bit differently than I do. And that's neither good nor bad, but just the honest truth. So I promptly walked to uh, the guidance counselor uh, in uh, engineering college, and I said, uh, will you please change my major to undecided? And so I dropped out of the engineering class and uh, nearly flunked my first semester. So straight A's in, in high school, you know, valedictorian, et cetera, all those silly accolades. But got to college and just did not know how to study, didn't know how to really work hard. I mean, high school was easy, and I'm sure some of you can relate to this. 
And my first semester, again, not notorious, not notorious sin, but just, uh, um, yeah, sinful nevertheless, uh, not going to class, uh, not staying up drinking or anything like that, literally staying up with the Baptist campus ministries, playing ping pong and pool and video games and just uh, sleeping till about two in the afternoon every day. And so eventually that catches up with you and you realize, gosh, I'm about to flunk, you know, intro literature. Um, and I did. I, I flunked uh, a British literature class, and I remember walking into the final. Uh, I showed up for the final. I was good enough to do that. And um, sat down, and I have not read a lick of literature the whole semester. And, of course, there's one question on the exam. It's an essay question. I had not read the book, couldn't name one character, didn't know the protagonist from the antagonist. And so I got up, and I walked to the professor, and I handed him uh, the paper, and I said, I hope you have a Merry Christmas. And I left. And so UAH's policy, no matter what your grade was, say I carried a, a 99 average into that exam, no matter what, uh, if you don't take the final exam, you fail. And so I failed. I failed uh, British literature. I made a D in psychology. Um, I made a C, I think, in a physics class. I mean, this was not the kind of grades I was used to. And so I was threatened. I almost lost my scholarship. And so I got serious. I started going to class. But I had no direction. I had no clear idea of what I wanted to study. And somewhere along the way, uh, I was introduced to the philosophy curriculum. And uh, of all places to study philosophy, I mean, UAH is not, it's not what they're known for. You know, they're known for NASA and for Boeing and all these wonderful uh, co-op opportunities. And I decided to read uh, Descartes and Kant and, and the like. But, but it lit a fire in me. And I loved the way I was thinking, gosh, people can study this? This is fascinating. And all along the way, uh, had my church life, had my uh, college ministry life, had all of my friends, um, I won't say all, but most, I mean, we were, we were constantly thinking about scripture and what, what it might mean. And so I had this wonderful sort of dialectic between philosophy program and uh, really diving into uh, the scriptures. And so Paige and I met uh, my wife uh, at a flag football tournament. It was sort of an uh, intramural deal. And we went down to Montevallo to play this big tournament. And I was on that day. I mean, particularly on. I played, played high school football, played linebacker, and, you know, was fine. But uh, at this particular flag football tournament, I played quarterback, which, uh, believe it or not, I actually used to be pretty quick. And I just was making passes, rolling out, I mean, just hitting everything. And I thought for sure she would be impressed by that. I thought, if anything, this would uh, convince her to go a date, on a date with me. Well, I don't think that's what it, what it was. So we were all, um, after one of the games, kind of gathered on someone's porch, and uh, it, was, it was nighttime, so all the stars are just vibrant uh, in that part of Shelby County. And so everybody kind of wandered back in, but I stayed out on the porch, and I was looking up at the stars and just admiring them. And uh, Paige walked out, and I kid you not, and um, she walked out with a Bible in hand, uh, much like this. And I think it was her way of saying, uh, you know, I'm interested in you, but you need to know my values. You need to know the kind of woman I am. Am I wrong in saying that? No, I don't think so. And so, uh, God, I wish I was cooler in college, but really I was just like this nerdy Bible kid. Um, she comes out, and we, we strike up a conversation, and, um, yeah, it's, you know, the stars and the universe, it's so infinitely vast, and yet God knows us and loves us and cares about us and, and can count the hairs on our head. And so this this picture of the stars and yet uh, the realization that God loves us. So that was our first conversation, really. And, of course, I'm just head over heels for her. And both of us had kind of had, you know, high school relationships, um, and for better or worse, and oftentimes worse, uh, those, those were a lot of scars. And so Paige was careful. Um, and so for 10 months, I was in the friend zone. 
I kept calling and asking, well, can we go out? Can we go out? Can we go out? And she kept insisting, no, let us be friends. Well, eventually I won the war of attrition and uh, she went on a date with me and uh, we've been together since. That was in 2008. Uh, we were engaged two and a half years and married in 2011. And so I did finish college. I did finish with a decent enough GPA uh, to go to seminary. And so Paige and I, uh, Paige grew up in a Baptist church in Madison, Alabama, just outside of Huntsville. And a wonderful church with wonderful ministers. And they had called me to be sort of a youth intern one summer. And I had led Bible studies at the Baptist Campus Ministries and, and was interested in this sort of thing. And so uh, that's where I really started to articulate and uh, understand that God was calling me to, to ministry uh, vocationally. And so after those two summers as a youth intern, uh, went to Beeson uh, here in Birmingham, um, fully, fully assured that God was calling me to be uh, a preacher and a teacher and a pastor, but not sure where. I didn't feel particularly rooted in the, in the Baptist tradition, even though that's where Paige grew up. And I kind of loosely was involved in high school and college with Baptist ministries. I floated around, you know, I was in reformed churches, church plants in college as well, and uh, definitely started to hear more of that reformational uh, bent in theology. And so when we went to Beeson, uh, which was a natural fit for us, um, I was kind of open, and we were open to finding a new church home, a place that we could really uh, hang our hat. So we started visiting places. We went, uh, gosh, I mean, probably six or seven churches those first two months uh, at Beeson. And uh, Gerald Bray invited me to the Advent. Uh, if you all know Gerald, who, uh, of course, has been here for years. Um, and Carolyn Langford, Carolyn, I don't know if she's here, it's Labor Day, I know there's a lot of folks out, but um, Carolyn let me borrow her prayer book, and I had no idea what I was doing with it, but I got to study it for a few weeks, and I moved every one of her little ribbons around, she probably hates me for it, because I'm, I'm obsessive about my ribbons, you know, the red one's morning prayer, green is Holy Communion, purple is Psalms, so, but I played with it, and uh, learned my way around it, and our very first Sunday at the Advent was... Um, uh, was the first Sunday of Lent. And so we missed Ash Wednesday, but we were here for Lent. And of course, being sort of Baptist, we had no idea how to juggle the books and handle, you know, you've got the prayer book, you've got the hymn, some, some places have Bibles uh, and the bulletin. And I remember leaving the service and we were driving back home and Paige was just bawling in tears. I mean, literally crying. And I wanted to pull the car over, but we were on 65 South. And I was like, what, what is going on? Like what, that was a wonderful service. I think Joe Gibbs might have preached that first service. It was a great sermon, but Paige is crying. I thought, what's, what's the problem? And so for her, it was everything she knew and loved about her church growing up. I mean, this experience in an Episcopal church was just, uh, it was daunting. It was difficult. We didn't know anybody. Uh, it was hard. So we kind of bounced around. We visited a few other places, um, but we came back to the Advent, and we came back, I think, Palm Sunday. So it was a few weeks, and um, something clicked. Something clicked. Uh, I remember going to the inquirer's class and Gil taught on Tetelestai. It is finished. I think Paige and I both looked at each other and said, this is where we need to be. So um, during that time too, Cameron was looking for a, a junior high youth minister. Cameron, are you here? No. Um, and so, yeah, uh, that's, how, that's how we got plugged in here at the Advent. I, I interviewed with Cameron and Elizabeth Elliott uh, out of the summit at a place called Tin Drum, which was an old kind of Asian fusion spot. And uh, he hired me kind of on the spot there. We, we decided, yeah, this is where we, we need to be. And so during that season, too, I had calls. Uh, there was a church in Hayden, uh, this little small Baptist church looking for a pastor. And I did not interview for that job, but they offered me a job. They said, you are our next pastor. 
And I said, no, no, I'm not. Thank you, but no thank you. Uh, I'm actually going to work at the Church of the Advent in Birmingham as a, as a youth minister. And the guy just blessed me up and down. He says, you're making the wrong decision. God's not calling you there. He's calling you here. I had preached there a couple of times just doing supply work. And he was just convinced that, yeah, I was, I was their guy. So th- thank God that didn't work out, both for that church and for, for our family and our life uh, here at the Advent. Because uh, we, we loved it here. Um, that very first summer, uh, just meeting all the youth. I remember that first class. I mean, the Barr family, the Williams family, the King family, the Houseman family, all these wonderful people uh, who we still count as friends. And junior high ministry um, is a particular ministry uh, where trying to get teenage boys interested in the Bible, I mean, that is, that's a tall order. But I learned a lot about what it means to be a pastor during those years. And so uh, I'll talk about my role as canon pastor toward the end, but that was kind of the early stage of learning. It's more than just scripture. Scripture is what we're trying to do, but we have to, we have to get people to the scriptures. We can't just beat them over the head with the Bible. And so for junior high boys, it was playing Frisbee before a Bible study. It was going to uh, Mountain Brook Creamery uh, to try to get them interested in community. And then you had a door in. You had a, you had a platform where you can actually speak um, both the scriptures and more particularly the gospel. And so for those three years that I was at Beeson and working here at the Advent, uh, I learned a lot about how people operate. And, um, you know, as a seminary student, you just think everybody wants to hear what you're saying. And the truth is no one cares what you have to say <laughs> until you have some influence, until you have a way in, until they know who you are. And so I, I'm grateful for that time. So, of course, during that time, um, discerned a call to ordain ministry in the Episcopal Church. It's still uh, crazy I'm saying those words out loud. Um, and so I went through the process here at the Advent, and several of you were on that committee, and uh, you endorsed me and Paige to, to go to seminary for one year after Beeson. And so Keith Sloan said, um, yeah, happy that you went to Beeson, uh, grateful you've been formed, uh, but we still want you to go to an Episcopal seminary for a year. And, you know, at first I really wanted to dig my heels in and say, no, uh, I'm, I'm ready to jump in now, uh, but you don't tell the bishop that, as it turns out. <laughs> And he gave me some options. You know, he said, look, you can go anywhere you want to go. If you want to go to either uh, CDSP, which is out in uh, California, or if you want to go to Neshota, we need to have a serious conversation, but those are still open doors for you. Uh, But we kind of honed it down to either Sewanee or um, General, uh, which is in New York City. And Dave Zoll, who came and gave a talk here uh, at Cranmer House, uh, he remembered me from the conference we'd gone to Mockingbird, um, and he said, Jay, you know, you really might consider general uh, because Calvary St. George's is there in New York City. And if you could find a way to work with Ben DeHart and Jacob Smith and Jim Monroe and Nancy Hanna, uh, I, think, uh, I think you'll be set up well for ministry the rest of your life. And that's what we did. Uh, thanks be to God. We met Ben our very first Sunday uh, visiting. So Deborah Layton, who was here for, for quite some time, was getting married um, in Manhattan. And so we went to Calvary that morning. Uh, after after the wedding, and uh, Ben took us to coffee, a little place called Irving, was it Irving Place? Irving Place Coffee, and uh, early early st- stages of our friend friendship together. Uh, y'all might not know this, but Ben is my son William's godfather. Uh, he's uh, literally my best friend in the Episcopal Church, so when he moved to Birmingham, and I was in Coleman, 45 miles north, I thought, what a dream, you know, we're, the boys are back. Well, <laughs> and here we are even closer, uh, he lives in English Village, I live in Mountain Brook Village, so we're... Uh, we see each other a good bit. I'm thankful Chelsea's here now as well, uh, who's a dear friend from Calvary St. George's as well. 
So I was studying at General, and General had this sort of uh, make your own curriculum plan, which was really great. Because uh, I, I kind of had, you know, I had my theology and Bible from Beeson. I didn't want to redo that, and, and, and at the time, really not at General. General, like higher ed in general, but particularly uh, seminaries, really has fallen on hard times. And uh, the curriculum was not particularly strong. So I was able to carve out, you know, Episcopal history, liturgy. Uh, going to chapel was a great experience. But for the most part, I was interning at Calvary St. George's. And so I learned a lot more about ministry there than I certainly could have uh, reading any books. And so uh, we were at General uh, for those, those nine months and serving at Calvary St. George's, and um, it was time to be ordained. So I came back to the Advent, was made deacon here. Um, if you all remember, Jim Monroe preached there at my diaconate service. And uh, right before that, there was a question, you know, where am I going to serve? There's no openings. There are no openings in the Diocese of Alabama. And so Keith Sloan had said, hey, we don't have a position for you. You're free to look around. And so I looked around everywhere. We looked at Virginia Beach, Pennsylvania, Texas, uh, yes, even Alabama. And uh, finally, Calvary St. George said, you know, we're looking to hire an associate uh, priest, associate minister for family formation. And uh, so I took that position. Uh, I probably shouldn't say this on the recording. It, it's going to get out. But uh, shortly thereafter, I got a call from the bishop's office saying, congratulations, you are the new priest in charge uh, in Florence at St. Bartholomew's. And in similar fashion to the guy at Hayden, I said, no, I'm, no, I'm not. Uh, I'm the new associate rector at Calvary St. George's. So it was a whole, a whole, uh, whole mess. And uh, unfortunately, the senior warden at the church uh, had already gotten the news. And so I had to go clean that mess up. But uh, long story short, um, we still got to stay in New York. And I served on there for another year and a half uh, as associate for family formation uh, and was made priest up there as well, made presbyter. Uh, our son, William, was born uh, in 2018, and so, um, which was a beautiful thing. He was born uh, on the Jewish Sabbath at a Jewish hospital, and some of you I shared this with, but I wasn't allowed to stay in the room. Um, I had to go home after William was born, and so I took the subway home, slept first thing in the morning, as, as early as I could get up, rushed back to the hospital, and unfortunately, being the Sabbath, uh, it's considered work to push the, the elevator buttons. And so uh, the maternity uh, section was, the ward was on the 11th floor. And so the, the elevator's programmed to stop on every floor to prevent anybody having to push buttons and do work. So I'm on the elevator just waiting, 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 having to stop at every floor to go see my newborn son. And uh, there he was uh, with all his hair. I'll have to show you a picture of William after he was born. He looks like Guy Fieri. I mean, he had like frosted tips. I thought, is your dad, am I your dad or is it Justin Timberlake? I mean, I don't know what's going on here. But that created sort of a new, as kids do, a, kind of a new value in our life. And um, over time, uh, we weren't dissatisfied in New York, but we're missing family. Uh, even though we kind of made a family in New York with, with Ben and Chelsea and Jim and Jacob and others, um, we, missed, we missed the South and we missed family. And so over time, God was uh, turning our hearts towards, um, towards Coleman. Uh, Coleman was looking for a rector uh, that, that summer we started interviewing. And actually another big kind of linchpin moment in our life, my grandfather, my maternal grandfather died that summer. And I just felt this, this call back home. I wanted to be close to my mom and close to family. And so uh, God called us to Coleman. And that was one of the hardest seasons uh, leaving New York because we did have such rich connections uh, with our, our colleagues there. And I think Ben and I were in denial for like two and a half months because I kid you not, for two and a half months, Ben was at our house every single night of the week, uh, and we would watch uh, Twin Peaks uh, for some reason. Twin Peaks is what we watched, and uh, about a dozen other movies. We'd eat pizza, and 
Uh, we got so lazy with William being a newborn, we didn't even go grab the pizza anymore. We just uh, door dashed it every single night. And so I don't know who footed the bill for that, but uh, we somehow made it out. Yeah, well, uh, you, you'll owe me. Um, that was a callback to last week's sermon if you were in the nave. Uh, but it was hard to leave New York because we, we really we did have a family there, and we, we loved it. Um, but Coleman was a great spot, a great fit, and um, we raised our, our son there, began to raise our son, and then Mary, our daughter, was born uh, during the pandemic. And so we, we arrived in Coleman in December of 2018 and uh, had about almost a year and a half of, of really good momentum in the church, and like all of you here, just felt it tank uh, due, due to um, uh, the pandemic. And gosh, it just got so depressing. I won't speak for my, my colleagues here, but it was just depressing. It was depressing not to be in church with people. Uh, we did the Zoom thing for a long time. And uh, in the midst of that, Mary, our daughter, was born. And so we have this, this new life before us. And the only thing she's known is, you know, people masked, you know, people greeting her with a mask on. And our son, who was gregarious and, and very social, uh, just sort of uh, like a clam, turned in on himself during, uh, during the pandemic. And us, in, in like fashion, too, I and mean, we just we miss being around people. Well, of course, you all know the story. Over time, the churches started reopening, uh, but the people didn't really start coming back, and that, that was tough, uh, very discouraging. I remember Christmas of 2020, um, the late service at Grace Coleman, which is usually around like 70, 80 people. Uh, we had a whopping 12, including myself and the organists and the acolytes, and it just, it was just, it, it hurt, you know, and the pride part of me was saying, what have I done? You know, why are the people not coming back? But uh, the truth was I knew these forces were bigger than, than me. Well, thanks be to God. I mean, it's another year later, uh, Christmas of 2021. And again, no credit to me. We were back. I mean, really, most people were back by then. And uh, ministry became fun again and uh, a lot of energy. Uh, but during that time, of course, I was kind of watching what was going on here at, at the Advent and, and praying for you all in sort of a difficult season, both with COVID and all, all that had been happening uh, here. And I, I'm not going to go into detail about that. You all were here and, and can live that and know that. But you've been in my prayers for, for literally years. And I uh, was so thankful to get the news in May that uh, Craig had been called. And uh, something happened this summer. We were able to connect, and um, he called me to, to come join the staff. And... Um, Hard, again, much like leaving New York, hard to leave a place we knew and loved and it cared for us and cared for our kids uh, there in Coleman, but uh, a clear yes to come, come back to Birmingham and to come back to the Advent, what I affectionately call the mothership. I mean, this is where gospel ministry has gone out for, for decades, uh, for generations, and I'm not worthy to stand here, uh, and yet I'm thankful uh, you all have called me here. Canon pastor, okay, that's what you're calling me now. Um, Craig was joking about being called uh, very reverend. I often say, you know, I'm the barely reverend Jay Gardner. That's, that's what I like to be called. I want to get a business card that says that, the barely reverend. But uh, I've got big shoes to fill. Both, both Craig's, who uh, was a faithful pastor and friend of me, and Craig, I'm not trying to make you embarrassed or anything, but uh, Craig's the kind of guy who, uh, he was just never programmatic. I mean, he was mentoring me, but never with a heavy hand. Uh, love Joe Gibbs, love Andrew Pearson, love all they taught me, love uh, all the clergy here, Catherine Jacob, uh, too, has been a faithful friend all these years, but um, Craig was always just sort of still and steady. And I watched him, how he pastored. He took me on hospital calls a few times, and uh, occasionally it was just sort of a, a normal infirmity, you know, uh, uh, s shoulder surgery, what have you. And occasionally it was very tragic stuff, but watching his demeanor and watching the Word become flesh, 
through his ministry inspired me. So I've got tremendous shoes to fill, but he had big ones to fill before him too. And all of us, wherever we stand, we've got massive shoes to fill and we're standing on the shoulders of giants. But my hope and prayer, and there's a lot more about my life, uh, and I hope that wasn't too meandering, kind of like sitting at the Thanksgiving table with your your great uncle Charlie. You just kind of hear stories and you kind of fall asleep. But I hope, um, I hope and I pray and I pray for me too that not just through me, but through all of us, through all of us, that the word can become flesh, that the word can become personal. Uh, a few of us got to go to Germany a few years ago, and we saw kind of the, the Lutheran Reformation. We took the, the tour on where Luther was, and I was struck by one of the Cronach paintings, Lucas Cronach, uh, where he has Luther in the pulpit, and he's pointing. And you see the congregation, but where he's pointing is uh, the crucified Christ in their midst. That's making the word flesh. That's making it come to life and personal. And so our call is to do that, yes, from the pulpit, yes, from the lectern, but also from the hospital room, also at the bedside, also at the coffee table, also at cocktail hour, thank God. Um, everywhere we are, we're, we're called to make the word flesh, both in our own lives. I mean, I'm, I'm just a beggar pointing where the bread is. I don't, I don't have the bread myself, but I know where to find it. Um, that's my job and my duty and my call and my passion. And uh, I'm thankful you all are forgiving. I, I totally botched the offertory at 9 o'clock. I'm still learning my way around here. Uh, and I told Craig, I said, you know, weakness is my strength. <laughs> well, in that moment, weakness was my strength because, of course, people were laughing at me. I was probably red as a tomato. Uh, but the truth is it's not about any of us who stand here, whether we have a collar on or not. Uh, it's about the one to whom we point, uh, the crucified Lord who came to save sinners, who said, come unto me, all ye that travail and are heavy laden, and I will refresh you. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life and not perish. That's our call in this place, whether you wear a collar or not, whether you have a fancy title or not. And please, just don't, just call me Jay. Um, I don't, if you want to call me Canon Gardener, that's fine. If you want to call me Father Gardener, that's fine. Uh, but, but yeah, Barely Reverend's fine too. Uh, or yeah, call me Ben. I don't, I don't care. Call me whatever you like. And actually, that'd be, that'd be great. But our call is to make the word become flesh in our midst. And so my prayer is that in some small measure I can do that uh, and that you will do that for me as well. And that uh, together we'll lift up the cross. We'll lift up the cross and resurrection of Christ, which is our only, that's the only saving grace we have, uh, our only mediator and advocate. With that being said, I do want to close in prayer. I don't want to give you time to ask questions because that's, uh, that's not my style in this kind of format. But, but, uh, but uh, after, after, this, after this, I'll hang around. I have no duties at 11 o'clock, so feel free to come say hello. But let us pray. God, I give you thanks uh, for this tremendous church, uh, this place that uh, ministered to me and continues to minister to me. I thank you for our shared uh, ministry uh, by your Spirit by your word. And I ask, Lord, that all of our lives would be uh, held up, not as an example, not as the way or the truth of the life, but as a way to point to you who is the way and the truth and the life. So we give all of these things uh, to your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.